this will be my last person life episode that I do. So I'm taking my one last one month break. So on June 1st, 2022, I'll be resuming episodes discussing my personal life. So let's talk about it. I've done this article before, but it needs some more attention. Thehumanist.com by Kristen Wintermead, August 27, 2019. Living humanist values and commitments. What is the definition of humanism? How does one live as a humanist? Like many of you, I've read a plethora of articles and longer works defining humanism. Each proclaims a different emphasis highlighting various aspects of what is valued by humans. Some declare humanism to be a religion that life stands for a worldview, while others profess it to be a progressive philosophy, an ethical perspective, or a belief system. Usually an array of principles is provided as a list of what's key to humanists, affirming human worth and dignity, reason, compassion, morality, ethics, democracy, scientific inquiry, naturalism, critical thinking with no adherence or affirmation of a divine creator of the supernatural force. None of the definitions are entirely conclusive and all are correct in outlining the fundamentals of humanism. However, this brings little clarity to what humanism is or how one lives as a humanist. Without a death without a definitive set of beliefs, dogma, or scripture. Humanism appears nebulous, which is the main reason we at the American Human Association Center for Education have developed the Ten Commitments. Whereas the Ten Commandments of the Hebrew Bible are a set of strict rules dictated by God, the Ten Commitments stand on their own as humanist values to maintain and strive to practice daily. They propose we put our values into action to work towards positively impacting our communities and society. In their simplicity to commitments ultimately define what we are about and what we stand for. I also see the Ten Commitments as an avenue for collaboration, a gathering point for all humanists to work together. Now, having grown up humanist and having worked in a variety of professional capacities in the movement, I'm very aware that within, that within humanist circles, independence of mind is a significant priority. A venerated value for those who feel they narrowly escaped the confines of religion that was quote unquote commanding and in some cases repressive. And so many may initially feel the Ten Commitments smack of a directive authority and should be rejected. However, I think the Ten Commitments are less about absolutes and surfboards that guide to putting our beliefs into action. They hold us accountable to our values. They ask humanists to be proactive versus reactive. They demonstrate that being humanist involves doing what is inherently right to ensure the well-being of everyone and everything in this world. They inspire me to be better as a person, be better as a humanist. It is my hope that readers find similar value in them. A simpler version has also been developed for use in educational settings, 
with younger humans in various other promotional ways. AHA Center for Education plans to build a curriculum around the Ten Commitments that will also appeal to others in a variety of secular settings, such that the Ten Commitments become not only widely accepted character education, but a guide within professional settings promoting um, and wellness. The Ten Commitments. And I'm gonna make this personal to myself. Critical thinking. As I am bombarded with a constant stream of information, it can sometimes become challenging to me to decide what is accurate and true. Thinking critically allows me to make sense of all this information and reason my way to good judgments and effective solutions to the problems I face while I am rigorously avoiding pitfalls like rationalization, conformity, and stereotyping. This process forms the basis of the scientific method which opens the door for new discoveries through hypothesizing and experimenting. Critical thinking is a skill that requires continued attention, practice, and reflection. Exercising my mind to build these skills enables me to challenge biases in myself and in others, paving the way for a fair, open-minded, and autonomous perspective that fosters a multicultural worldview. So yes, I am of critical thinking when it comes to my entire professional life, my entire sex life, and my entire personal life. Ethical development. The key to understanding ethical development is acknowledging that nobody is perfect or has all the answers. Ethical development is a never-ending process that requires constant reflection an evaluation of my personal choices, the personal choice of others, and the consequences that we all have on ourselves and others. Fairness, cooperation, sharing are among the first moral issues we all encounter in our ethical development as human beings. And we are often embraced intuitively but each new day carries with it new challenges and new moral dilemmas. We all should continually adapt and rebuild our moral frameworks with the goal of becoming even better human beings. So I am of ethical development. I apply ethical development when it comes to my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Peace and social justice. True peace involves an intense commitment to social justice and affirms the human rights and personal autonomy of all people. Any level of injustice against groups or individuals signifies existing conflict, even if the conflict isn't immediate or obvious. We attain peace only by consistently responding to injustice through 
thoughtful conflict resolution that aims to repair harms and ensure a fair and equitable society moving forward. This kind of conflict resolution is known as restorative justice in order to achieve a just, peaceful society. We all must take claims of injustice seriously and ensure that those who are impacted most by rights violations determine the best course forward. So I am a peace and social justice. I apply peace and social justice sometimes my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Service and participation. Service and participation means putting values into action in ways that positively impact our communities and society as a whole. It fosters helping others increasing social awareness, enhancing accountability, and many attributes of the other nine commitments. Engaging in service doesn't just make the recipients better off, but those who serve can develop new skills, experiences, and personal satisfaction and all promote personal growth. We must all recognize that we are members of a group and engaging in service to benefit the group and the other individuals in it makes us all better off. So I am of service and participation. I apply service and participation when it comes to my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Empathy. Empathy means entering imaginatively into another situation in an attempt to understand the experience that we're experiencing it ourselves. Empathy requires a person to step outside of their own perspective to consider someone else's thoughts, feelings, or circumstance from that person's point of view. In many ways, empathy is the first step to ethical behavior as it allows us to respond compassionately to the suffering of others and exercise good judgment when our actions may affect someone else. Understanding another's perspective is not only critical to building better relationships, it also makes us better citizens in our local and global communities. Empathy promotes tolerance, consideration, and compassion amongst us all. So I am of empathy. I apply empathy when it comes to my professional life, my entire personal life, my entire professional life, my entire personal life. I apply empathy to those areas of my life, and I apply empathy when it comes to my entire sex life. Humility. Humility means displaying modesty about accomplishments, talents, gifts, or importance of self. It acknowledges we humans are fallible and have limitations what we know and can do. Being humble isn't about having low self-esteem or denigrating oneself. Humility at its core is real by self-awareness, awareness of our strengths and weaknesses, our faults and our merits. Humility involves setting aside personal pride and overcoming our egos to embrace gratitude for what you have and appreciate others for who they are. And being humble, one recognizes their own value in relation to others. Inherently, you are neither better nor worse than anyone else. I, I am of humility. I apply humility when it comes to my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Environmentalism. Regardless of our individual identities, we all share the same home, planet Earth. Just as we depend on the planet to sustain us with its precious resources, this planet's ecosystems depend on us to be good stewards and take responsibility for the 
impact human activity has on our shared planet. Disregard for the large-scale impacts humans have on our environment has caused extensive harm to Earth's ecosystems. Despite this, humanity is also capable of positive environmental change that values the interdependence of all life on this planet. Each of us must acknowledge our collective and individual mistakes, repair past damages, and purposefully work toward cultivating rich, diverse, and resilient ecosystems. I am of environmentalism. I apply environmentalism because of my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Global awareness. We live in a world that is rich in cultural, social, and individual diversity, a world with rapidly increasing interdependence. As a result, events anywhere are more likely to have consequences everywhere. Global awareness broadens our knowledge of cultures and perspectives that are outside of our own experience. A true global awareness includes attention to both current and historical events, acknowledges how we, how we affect and how we are affected by the interconnected social, political, economic systems in which we reside. The end goal of global awareness is global citizenship, which recognizes our personal responsibility to foster a healthy and dignified life for everyone in our global community. I am of global awareness. I apply global awareness. Global awareness when it comes to my entire professional life, my entire personal life, and my entire sex life. Responsibility. Every day, each of us makes choices. These choices, large or small, all have consequences for ourselves and for the world around us. Moral responsibility involves taking conscious ownership of one's intention and actions to think accountable for the resulting consequences. Although we all live in a society with various cultural values, expectations, codes of conduct, and social mores, ultimately we all decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. Being a responsible person involves steadfast attention to what is right and willfully bearing the blame or praise for our own actions. So I apply responsibility when it comes to my entire personal life my entire professional life and my entire sex life, and I am of responsibility. Altruism. Altruism is the selfless concern for the welfare of others without expectation of reward, recognition, or return. The collective welfare of our communities and society depends on the welfare of each individual person. We should always seek to alleviate the suffering and hardships of others with compassion and action. By caring for others around us, lifting each other up, we reinforce healthy connections and contribute to the betterment of our community, society, and the world. So I am of altruism. I apply altruism when it comes to my entire sex life, my entire personal life, my entire professional life. So I am a humanist, so because I do not practice any religion, that makes me secular. So I apply critical thinking, ethical development, peace and social justice, service and participation, empathy, humility, environmentalism, global awareness, responsibility, and altruism correctly when it comes to my entire personal life, my entire professional life, 
my entire sex life. Um, and when it comes to my secular, non-religious living slash existence. So yes, I am of critical thinking. I am of ethical development. I am of peace and social justice. I am of service and participation. I am of empathy. I am of humility. I am of environmentalism. I am of global awareness. I am of responsibility. I am of altruism. Um, so that perfectly sums up my secular, non-religious, humanist living in all areas of my life that I apply correctly. Let me now talk about why decriminalization of sex work is lacking by myself. Decriminalize sex work and inhuman trafficking promote health and safety. Facts about decriminalization of sex work, which you need to know about sex work. What is sex work? Sex work is the exchange of sexual services, sex, erotic, fancy, pornography, etc., for money or something about it. Sex workers have different reasons for doing sex work. Some choose sex work among other well-paying jobs, and some are in circumstances that lead them to sex work even if it is not their first choice for earning income. Some individuals are forced and slash recourse into sex work as human trafficking, a crime that occurs across many labor sectors. Each state has different laws regulating sex work. Most states have a number of laws prohibiting prostitution. To make it more confusing, each jurisdiction has a different exact definition of what activities count as prostitution. In some states, BDSM, fetish, and other types of sexual play are explicitly included in definitions of prostitution, whereas in other states, they're not considered to be quote-unquote sexual conduct as defined by prostitution laws. What's the difference between sex work and prostitution? Sex work includes the entire field of sexual services, both legal and illegal including pornography, exotic dancing, fetish work, web-based work, and prostitution. Prostitution is the kind of sex work most often criminalized, and it is the direct in-person exchange of sex for money or other things of value. Will decriminalizing sex work lead to an increase in human trafficking? No. Too often, laws and lawmakers conflate human trafficking with consensual adult sex work. Human trafficking is when an individual group uses force fraud or coercion to compel another into some kind of labor, including commercial sex acts. Human trafficking is an egregious abuse of human rights and a critical public health issue. Sex work is when adults choose to offer sexual service in exchange for something of value, usually money. Prostitution and anti-trafficking laws make it impossible for victims and witnesses to report exploitation without risking pros prosecution. Um, when innocent people are arrested, and prosecuted victor, victims face various services and exploitation proliferates in the black market. Where sex work has been decriminalized, human trafficking in the sex industry has decreased. Why is the entrapment model, also known as the Nordic model, end demand model, Swedish model, and equality model a bad policy? 
The entrapment model refers to the theory that criminalizing clients to third parties, example managers, will reduce demand in the sex trade, thereby quote-unquote freeing sex workers who are often seen as victims. This framework has vocal proponents among certain prohibitionist feminists, but its impact has been devastating where it has been implemented. Unambiguous data shows a clear correlation between laws that criminalize clients and increasing violence against sex workers, sexually transmitted infections, STIs, and exploitation in the sex trade. While the entrapment model may seem enticing in theory, it's impossible to create a safe environment for sex workers and their clients when one side of the transaction is criminalized. Is policing sex work effective at stopping prostitution, preventing human trafficking, reducing STIs, and making society safer? No. Tens of thousands of people are arrested in the United States for prostitution and other charges. The majority of these, the majority of those arrested are adults who engage in consensual victimless activities. Where sex workers are criminalized, law enforcement is able to focus resources on prosecuting human trafficking and other violent crimes. Sex workers are criminalized, sex workers and their clients are safer. STIs are reduced and there is less human trafficking. Are prostitution laws racially enforced? Across the United States, people of color are targeted by police more often than white people for low-level crimes such as drug possession. The same is true for sex work. Women of color are especially targeted, harassed, and arrested for prostitution crimes at much higher rates than their white counterparts. Would decriminalization lead to an increase in STIs? Numerous public health agencies have stated that decriminalizing prostitution is one of the most important policy shifts necessary to prevent HIV and STI infections. Where sex work is illegal, those involved are more likely to engage in riskier behavior. Sex workers are less likely to refuse to have condomless sex. Law enforcement often use condoms in a wallet as evidence of prostitution, preventing some people from wanting to carry them in large numbers, even from the store to home. Also, a stigma is reduced, condom usage is known to increase. Studies have shown that in the few places around the world where sex workers are criminalized, like New Zealand, the rate of STIs has gone down. How will this affect criminal justice resources? In most jurisdictions, tens of thousands of dollars are spent needlessly arresting and processing nonviolent sex workers. This money could be better spent investigating violent crimes such as rape, assault, and robbery. Why don't sex workers report crimes to the police? In most jurisdictions, sex workers are not guaranteed immunity from the criminal codes they have broken while working. As such, they put themselves at risk if they seek to report crimes or information they have about crimes. Worse, due to the illegality of prostitution, law enforcement often has an adversarial relationship with sex workers. Sex workers are frequently targeted by police and their human rights are violated. Decriminalization will allow sex workers to collaborate with law enforcement, increasing public health and safety for all. Won't decriminalizing sex work mean there will be more street-based prostitution and nude activity in public? Where sex work is decriminalized, sex workers have more options to conduct their business indoors, which most would prefer to do. They are able to legally advertise their services and find clients without standing on the street. When we decriminalize sex work, communities can still have laws against lewd activity in public. Since New Zealand decriminalized sex work in 2003, there has been less street-based prostitution. How is decriminalization different from legalization? Legalization of sex work would create a set of laws, codes, and regulations specific to the sex industry. People who buy or sell sex outside of these rules would be breaking the law and subject to arrest, conviction, and punishment. 
Decriminalizing sex means that consenting adults who buy or sell sex are not committing a crime. There would, of course, still be laws against trafficking, rape, violence, and sex work involving minors. What do police think of this? A lot of police support decriminalization. They see that their hard work is useless. It doesn't help anyone in the endless system of arrests and processing. In addition, they find websites and legal operations very helpful in criminal investigations. They're among the voices that cried out against the closure of sex work advertising sites such as Backpage and Craigslist, both American companies that were helpful to them in critical investigations. Will decriminalizing prostitution increase violent crimes against women? There is zero evidence that prostitution causes trafficking in domestic violence or any other crimes against women and ample evidence that decriminalizing sex work increases the health and safety of sex workers, many of whom are women. In fact, indoor prostitution was inadvertently decriminalized in Rhode Island for many years, during which the rate of violence against women dramatically decreased. Why do you use the term sex worker? First, does the term sex worker hold the globe have said they prefer? Second, the term sex worker helps us see that sex work is a job, not an identity. I'm concerned about child abuse. How is this helping? 96% of victims of child abuse were abused at home by somebody they knew. This is an important and critical issue that has nothing to do with sex workers. So the four basic types of prostitution laws. What are the four basic legal frameworks on sex work? DSW support, you know, the criminalized sex work, supports the decriminalization model for prostitution and sex work generally. Decriminalization in which criminal and civil penalties have been eliminated for both the consumer and the provider, regardless of whether the sexual services are provided by solo entrepreneurs in hotel rooms or private residences or licensed businesses known as brothels, is optimal for the health and safety of all. So, when it comes to buying sexual services, decriminalization says not a crime. When it comes to buying sexual services, criminalization says it's criminal. When it comes to legalization, buying sexual services is considered um, criminal when seller is not licensed. An entrapment slash Nordic model when it comes to buying sexual services says it's criminal. When it comes to selling sexual services, criminalization says not a crime. When it comes to selling sexual services, criminalization says criminal. When it comes to selling sexual services, legalization says not a crime when seller is licensed. Uh, entrapment slash Nordic model says selling Sexual services is not a crime. Um, okay, one, decriminalization. Decriminalization supports the health, safety, and rights of all. This ideal policy would remove penalties for independent contractors, solo practitioners who are akin to housekeepers, caregivers for elderly dis or people with disabilities, or home-based hairstylists, as well as businesses which have owners, wage employees, and discrete locations. Unequivocal evidence from around the world demonstrates that the criminalization of sex work increases public health and safety and decreases exploitation and trafficking. Two, criminalization. Criminalization promotes exploitation, except for the regulated brothels in rural parts of Nevada. Prostitution and related acts are criminalized everywhere in the U.S. This widespread criminalization keeps the sex industry underground, removes the ability of workers to exert their rights to redress wrongs slash violence committed against them, and places people in a cycle of arrest and incarceration. Through legalization, legalization doesn't solve the problem. The law that allows only brothels licensed businesses at specific locations only is called the legalization model. 
This policy which describes Nevada's law represents a partially good law that should nevertheless be avoided because prostitution in the privacy of hotel rooms or bedrooms or, uh, or any other sexual settings should not be criminalized. The partial approach of legalization akin to arresting your hairdresser neighbor who styles your hair in your home instead of her salon or allowing alcohol consumption in bars but criminalizing it in your kitchen. Or the entrapment model. The entrapment model is harmful. The entrapment model is known as the in-demand model, Nordic model, Swedish model, and quality model imposes criminal penalties on clients but not sex workers. This isn't even a compromise, but rather thoroughly bad policy. It's akin to allowing the store to sell alcohol but criminalizing the customers. The result is that customers continue paying for sex in the criminal arena, jeopardizing the liberty of both parties and the safety of the community. I would say legalization and decriminalization should be combined when it comes to prostitution and all consensual adult sex work. I say combine the benefits of legalization, combine the benefits of decriminalization, that's how you can have sex workers' rights work out well. And I say this in close for this article. All the benefits of legalization, all the benefits of, de of decriminalization, put them both together. Bam. That's how you can honor the right to privacy, the right to health, the labor rights, the economic social and cultural rights, the equal rights and human rights of sex workers. So obviously there's much more for me to say. Um, I did this article before, but I'm going to do it one more time. So I'm on Patreon.com. And so I want this to be known where I am. Okay. I am for, I, I'm pro ho. P-R-O-H-E-A-U-X. Or... P-R-O hyphenated H-O-E. Some people take out the E and say P-R-O hyphenated H-O. So yes, I'm pro-ho. I'm pro-tramp. I'm pro-slut. I am for pro-hoism. Number one, pro-ho-womanism. Yes, I am for pro-ho womanism, derived from the more colloquial pro-ho. Again, I am pro-ho. Spelling altered to reflect difference in refinement. Number two, a sex worker womanist, feminist, or hustler ho committed to collective and personal justice, not just sexually, but through recognition of labor physical security. Radically thotty, C-H-O-T-T-Y, and proud of it. Curious about their sexuality, about birth and rebirth, about challenge and change, about redemption and reparations, about the physical and the emotional, 
loves the river and all its incarnations, a pro-sex, pro-pleasure politic that is specifically centered on the multiply marginalized might be marvelous. One who owns oneself and one's own sexuality or gender expression, regardless of whether or not they are attached to a man or masculine person. Oh, all those words perfectly describe aspects of myself and what I appreciate about others who are the same ways just like me. So let me clarify what I mean if you got confused. So I am for sex worker womanists. I am for sex worker feminists. I am for hustler hoes. I am for being committed to collective and personal justice. I am for not just sexually, but the recognition of labor, physical security. I am for those radically thoughty like me. And I am for those who are proud of being radically thoughty like me. I am, I am for those who care about their sexuality, about birth and rebirth, about challenge and change, about redemption and reparations, about physical and emotional. I'm for people like that. Love, surrender, and all its incarnations. I'm for people like that. A pro-sex, yes, I'm pro-sex. Pro-pleasure, yes, I'm pro-pleasure. Um, a pro-sex, pro-pleasure politic that's specifically centered on the multiply marginalized. I am for people like that. Might be marvelous. One who owns oneself, one's own sexuality, gender expression, regardless of whether or not they're attached to a man or masculine. I'm for people like that. Again, all those words describe sides of who I am. So I, when I see those sides of other people, I'm appreciative of those sides of them because I appreciate those sides of myself. Number two, a womanist, meaning me, who rejects anti-ho sentiments, I should do, as well as respectability, racial capitalism, and whore hierarchies, I reject those things too. Rejects misogynoir, transmisogynoir, yes, I reject both. Rejects all forms of misogyny, period. Yes, I do that and then some. Does not accept nor engage in active or passive transphobia, homophobia, colorism, xenophobia, classism, anti-blackness. You damn right, that's who I am. Doesn't juxtapose the erotic and pornography that describes me and recognizes that non-exploitative pleasure comes in varied forms. That's me. Is not always sex in it and is paramount to the human experience. That's me. Against all forms of erasure and systemic oppression. That's me. Recognizes that solidarity is impossible without acknowledging difference and rejects the earth to homogenize experience under the guise, G U I S E, of inclusivity. That's me. Number three, rejection of the idea of one standard of femininity as determined by genitalia. Transphobia slash intersex erasure denial, that's me. Eco-womanist minded in the in the sense that they are against the environmental racism that plagues black and brown indigenous peoples across the globe due to industrialization, pollution, and redlining, which locates hazardous materials in poor black and brown neighborhoods, that's me. Committed to the safety of all marginalized peoples, that's me. A rejection of phallocentrism, dick centrism, gender and biological and sexual essential. A rejection of phallocentrism, dick centrism, 
gender and biological essentialism, racism, sexism, heterosexism, fat phobia, ageism, ableism, and speciesism, not only in the realm of sexual pleasure politics, but in all realms. That's all me. Cares for the environment as a whole, desires to correct the exploitation of all animals, and rejects the notion of human animal superiority in favor of preserving the ecosystem as a whole. That's me. Committed to self, to community, to justice. That's me. Four, commitment to decriminalization and stigmatization of erotic vice and formal labor. That's me. I am pro casual sex. I am pro promiscuity. I am pro non monogamy. I am pro sex work. I am pro sex worker. And I am pro sex positive. But here we go. Not just pro casual sex and pro promiscuity, but pro sex worker. That's me. Not simply sex choice positive, even though, even though that's me. But pragmatic and communal, that's me. Understands the question between empowerment and exploitation when residing in oppressive or imperialist colonized state, that's me. Against all forms of racial genital fetishism, that's me. Opposed to the co option of prison abolitionist language by colonizers and anti sex work activists, that's me. Excuse transgression for the sake of transgression, being quote unquote sub and securing the ability to quote-unquote choose under the system is not inherently revolutionary, that's me. Against sexual and body shaming of any kind, that's me. Commitment, autonomy, and agency in particular regard to reproductive slash sexual, mental, and physical health, including but not limited to access to abortion, anti-retrogram, Viral drugs, adequate child care, health insurance, and affordable housing. That's all me. Always centered, always centers the multiplied marginalized. That's me. Isn't here for supporting multiculturalist white supremacy. That's me. Devoted to economic freedom and critiquing and dismantling capitalism. That's me. Five, a hustler, a professional hoe, prostitute, erotic, or informal laborers producing living and surviving sometimes via sexual, sexual effective or erotic means, a poor slash work class innovator. I support 100% people like that and I identify those things within myself. So that's me. This was originally called a working definition of pro-homeanism. I wrote the original off the top of my head and published on Medium, not thinking that anyone would ever read it. This is a revised version. I changed the title to Working Theory on Pro-Homeanism because I want it to be clear that I appropriate a definitional style and that is not actually a definition in traditional sense. Number two, sometime in the mid-2000s, most likely even earlier, Black women began spelling words with the E-A-U-X, a Frenchified suffix, by refined, I mean, Precise or exact, it is exactly quote unquote black slang, though it has been widely appropriated by the masses of supporters in the 2018 Twitter thread. Fox scholar slash status. And number three, sexual. Photo by Jessica Felicio on Unsplash. This is September 9, 2019 at 133 p.m. 
This is Thought Scholar. Um, it's creating low-end theory, Twitter threads, and crit theory disguised as art. That's the person who did that Patreon article. I love to be honest, as you know, I really do. So I think there's more for me to say about myself. So this is there are six arousal types which are which is yours the candidly.com by Lynn Malai. If if just hearing the word arousal gets you sort of tingly, arousal type may be arduous. If you think the word quote unquote arousal should be strapped to a rocket ship along with moist and panties in quotation shot off to Mars, you may be more cognitive. If you don't know what the hell the words audio or cognitive has to do with your love life, then you're probably just a normal person who hasn't taken the time to figure out what arousal even means to you. And that's okay. You've had some other things on your mind. Pandemic. <clears throat> Pandemic. <clears throat> but knowing your arousal type could help you better understand your own needs and desires, says Dr. Jess O'Reilly, PhD, and host of the At Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Once you understand your own positive negative triggers, you can teach your partners to be a part of the process to help you get in the mood in a way that really works for you. Dr. Jess defined the six types of arousal. Which one sounds most like yours? Here we go. One, physical. If you're more physical, you may find that you become most aroused in response to physical closeness or touch. This might include certain movements, textures, rhythms, pressures, or speeds. They make you more responsive. It may feel awkward explaining your physical arousal type to your partner for discussing it beforehand is easier. According to Hannah Stinsby, MA, licensed marriage and family therapist at Couples Learn, you can communicate the physical touch that works or doesn't work for you by saying, I love the way that you touch my blank. Be specific about what you like. Speed it up a little bit or go easy. Alternatively, Stinsby recommends using nonverbal communication by guiding your partner's hands or shifting what they're doing to a different area of your body. These are all intimate ways to connect and communicate with your partner without feeling like you're correcting or judging them. Two, visual. If you, well, actually, wait a minute. You can uh, judge your partner with gracefully and you can uh, politely correct. Those are healthy aspects of healthy sex life living. Okay, number two, visual. If you're more visual, you may find that you become aroused in response to what you see in your partner and yourself or in your mind. Since we suggest sharing the moment using these kinds of examples, wow, seeing you with your shirt off really makes me attracted to you. Hey, I've noticed that when I have the opportunity to dress in this way, I feel more sexual and I'm more likely to want to have sex. I love picturing you doing blank. I love picturing you in this outfit slash in this place. I love picturing us doing blank. Giving your partner this insight will help them initiate sex in a way that works for both of you or more than both of you, you group sex havers. Three, audio. If you're more audio, you're likely, you, you likely get excited in response to words, phrases, tones, voice, and even vibrations and melodies. Anyone who has a sexy time Spotify playlist probably falls to this category. 
If certain songs or things your partner says turns you on, let them know by saying, wow, that song slash thing you say really puts me in a sexy mood, says Finsby. It's really about communicating the moment in a natural way. It's equally important to know your partner's arousal type. According to Stinsby, you can start the conversation by asking, what song really puts you in the mood? When I say certain things to you, does it have an impact on how aroused you feel? Four, cognitive. If your arousal type is more cognitive, you might find that when you think about matters most to arousal. Again, if your arousal type is more cognitive, you might find that what you think about matters most to arousal. You're likely to fantasize to get in the mood. Whether it's about you and, and your partner or partners, whether it's about you and Jude Law and his extremely bronze skin in the holiday, how he was so immensely tan in the dead of winter remains a mystery, but let's go with it. Because the cognitive arousal type can also be misinterpreted as needing more than your partner. It's important that you broach broach the topic of fantasy or role play carefully with them. You want to make sure that your partner understands that you want to be with them. You find them attractive and you connect with them, advice extends to Clarify that it's not that you're dissatisfied with your partner. Requires you to think about something else in order to be aroused. Explain to your partner how having a storyline is something that has an impact on your arousal. Identify how you can involve them. This could be a great opportunity for connecting, helping to protect them against feeling left out at Stensby. Be specific about what you like in your fantasies and details of the role play that you would like to do. Five, relational. If your arousal type is more relational, you likely get aroused when you feel a deeply specific type of connection to a lover. A simple way of communicating this to your partner is by telling them what you appreciate about them. Stensby recommends putting this into action by having a deep conversation about the relationship, sharing what you love about one another, discuss, discussing dreams about the future. Lastly, number six, emotional. Humans are all emotional beings, so the emotional underpinnings of arousal are always worth considering. For example, you may find that you're aroused by a specific feeling. Dr. Jess calls this your core erotic feeling, like being desired or feeling powerful. Sex is not just mechanical, and you can't force it, says Stingsby. Every interaction has emotion attached to it, so understanding what those emotions are can help you adjust your foreplay. Talk about moments when you feel really aroused and work backwards to create more of that. Of course, there's no one-size-fits-all arousal type, and you may find yourself fitting into more than one category. Get to know them all and experiment. You might just find a new way to turn up the heat in your relationship. Either way, becoming armed with information about who you are and what you like is sort of the greatest gift you can give yourself. This is by Lynn Malley. Lynn Malley is a Syrian-American writer and comedian based in Los Angeles by day. She writes online content by night. She performs stand-up. Okay, so people are wondering, Antonio, what arousal type or arousal types are you? I am all of them. I am the physical arousal type. I am the visual arousal type. I am the audio arousal type. I am the cognitive arousal type. I am the relational arousal type. And I am the emotional arousal type. I'm all of them equally. I am a well-balanced, well-rounded, well-adjusted and well-unified physical arousal type, visual arousal type, 
partial arousal type, cognitive arousal type, relational arousal type, and emotional arousal type. I am all these arousal types, even though I only do casual relationships strictly only. When it comes to sex, I'm exceptional. Let's talk about more arousal types. So here we go. There are five arousal types and knowing yours can really stimulate your sex life. Jenna Birch, August 26, 2019. How do you feel when you're turned on and what is the exact mechanism by which you feel aroused? These complicated questions welcome many possible answers. Maybe you need to shower, do your hair, put on that outfit and look in the mirror. Maybe you need to see and touch your partner. Maybe you need to be touched yourself. Or maybe it's something else entirely because when it comes to how to get aroused, options really are limitless. But to help you better understand the nuances of your own libido, having a better understanding of your primary arousal type can help according to relationship and sex therapist Petra Zeprov, PhD, who asked that arousal is the pathway by which you get turned on. In fact, it's best to be aware of all five primary arousal types so that you can know how to get yourself in the mood and also understand what might excite your partners. Want to know how to get aroused? Read up on five different arousal types below. One, sensualist. If you're a sensualist, the best answer to how to get aroused is to use the five senses. I would add number six because of the six, the six senses, the instinct, um, to be instinctual, intuitive. Okay. Think the way you smell like vanilla and lavender. Again, think the way you smell like vanilla and lavender. The sounds you make like moaning, groaning, grunting, screaming, speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages, screaming your partner's name, porn talk, flirty talk, dirty talk, poetic talk. How you feel soft as the sheets you're between. Again, how you feel soft as the sheets you're between. And yep, hell yeah, even the ways you taste. Sensualists let arousal build in a slow, unhurried manner. They love erotic touch, sight, smell, sound, and taste. They're easy to turn on. Two, behaviorists. Behaviorists usually have unique tastes and know exactly what turns them on. Whether that's playing with new positions, role play, dominance, or anything else, whatever it is that turns them on typically requires imagination and thinking about the act sex. They're very into sex toys and porn and erotica and love to plan and discuss different strategies for spice things up in the bedroom and all the other sexual settings. They love open-minded partners. Three, intimate. These types need to feel truly close to their partner to feel turned on. They are all about emotional connection. So they love deep discussion and quality time together before getting into bed and all the other sexual settings. Sex is deeply meaningful to intimates who desire to merge body and soul. They're typically very giving in bed and all the other sexual settings and aim to ensure their partners are as excited and satisfied by sex. Giving pleasure turns on intimates. Four. I just read to you number three, four, attractor. 
Attractors feel most turned on when their partner sees them as desirable. They like dressing up in any way that feels sexy to them before they feel really prepared to have sex. Look at them longingly and they'll melt. Compliment their parents and they'll be ready to go. Attractors often like to feel pursued and enjoy a quick pace, hot and heavy section in the sack and all the other intercourse having environments. Lingerie is a great gift for this type. Let them know you want to see them all dolled up used. Five, equalist. It's also possible to derive sexual arousal from all four aforementioned types equally, and that's where the equalist arousal type comes in. Equalists are as turned on by a partner's orgasms, thereby feeling personally hot in the tight dress they're wearing. They are as into the idea of role plays that are connecting on the date beforehand that precedes the show. The power to be gained from knowing your arousal type extends itself to all relationship status situations. You'll gain more understanding of the best arousal inducing directions you can give, literally or subliminally. The sexual partner is new and old and they do the same, so you'll both likely be more satisfied with your rendezvous and will take care of as a partner. If you're untethered to any kind of and if you're untethered to any kind of relationship knowing your arousal type to help you understand what adds to you being more in the mood for solo sessions with yourself so you're wondering okay antonio where do you fit when it comes to arousal types okay i am a well-adjusted well-rounded well-balanced well-unified sensualist behaviorist intimate, attractor, and equalist. I am all of those five arousal types. Okay, next question. Loveunit.com love What's your sexual personality, November 10, 2020? One of my life goals is to help couples. I'll just include casual people in this too, let's not be bigoted. To discover the compatibilities in order to enrich their sex life. In my decades long private practice, I've helped many people who didn't know how to relate to each other, most because they were speaking their own language instead of learning the language of their partner. So I developed a unique sexual personality to enhance a much more fulfilling love life. And I will say sex life is casual, mentally, physically, and sexually. This work is what inspired me to start my ongoing research project on sexual compatibility, which has reached over 2,500 participants since 2015. Please take a moment to take my anonymous survey here if you want to go do that. You don't have to. We don't collect IP addresses or emails. It's completely private so that individuals feel free to express their true feelings. Plus, it's fun to answer the questions and think about your own preferences and desires. I encourage you to add to this valuable study. Here are some of the questions in the survey that are answered on a rating scale to give you an idea of how we're trying to categorize data to come up with compatibility solutions. One, how important is it that your long-term partner is good is good in bed and all the other sexual settings? Or to be fair, how important it is that your short-term partner is good in bed and all the other sexual settings? Two, do you like to plan your sexual activity? Three, 
How do you express love? And I'll ask it again to accommodate the casuals. Three, how do you express healthy lust? Four, how much do you enjoy the following acts? Erotic embrace while dressed, deep kissing, stroking your sexual partner's genitals, giving and receiving oral sex, favorite intercourse traditions, anal sex. The study is based on psychology's well-established big five personality traits called OCEAN. Open, conscientious, extroverted, agreeable, neurotic, which began with the research of D.W. Fisk, 1949, was continued by other researchers, including Norman, 1967, Smith, 1967, Goldberg, 1981, and McCray and Costa, 1987. Here are some brief descriptions of the five sexual personalities of credit based on the big five psychological personality types. Read them all and see what jumps out at you as familiar or not you at all. Find yourself and your partner in these personality types and choose more than one if you like. It's all about figuring out who you are and how to successfully communicate with others. In more detailed descriptions of my free ebook, Your Sexual Personality, Find and Keep Your Perfect Match. Ocean Sexual Personality. Table of contents, ocean sex personalities, open, conscientious, extroverted, agreeable, neurotic, if you're sexually open, if you're sexually conscientious, if you're sexually introverted, if you're sexually agreeable, if you're sexually neurotic, open. If you have an open personality, you are creative and outgoing sexually, you feel comfortable giving the kind of love and lust you would like to receive, and are more likely to have adventurous fantasies like threesomes, domination, or exhibitionism. Conscientious. Conscientious lovers are the most mindful and pay attention with all their five senses. If you're sexually conscientious, you're more likely to believe that relationships can be quote-unquote worked on to achieve compatibility. You require a higher level of trust before becoming intimate with someone. You're more likely to be turned off by the idea of someone else finding your partner sexy. Um, extroverted. Sex with an extroverted person is energetic and exciting as they enjoy risky sex locales and erotic communication. If you are an extrovert sexually, you're more likely to be the one who initiates sex and more likely to enjoy sex acts others make it to the taboo like group sex or de-dressing. Agreeable. Agreeable personalities in bed and all the other sexual settings are passionate and lovable with lots of enthusiasm to please their lover. If you're an agreeable lover, you are the most likely of all the personalities to be turned on by taking a romantic bath dancing or sharing meals and are more likely to express your love through compliments. Neurotic. Neurotic lovers can be the wildest sexually or the least sexual depending upon their mood as they are highly emotional and sensitive. They consider neurotic sexual personality are significantly less willing to talk about their desires and they have difficulty expressing their love. They're less likely to be one who says I love you first in a relationship. Did you recognize yourself? Many people find their combination personalities with some traits from one type and others from another. So what can we do with this information? My ebook also gives you lots of sexy tips for each personality type. So here are a few at a glance ideas you can use at home today and any other sexual place you want to do that. Just spice up your sex life or love life, you know, for those who are committed. If you are sexually open, feed your sexual appetite and increase intimacy with new sexual activities you haven't tried, whether it's tantric sex or sensual BDS and power play. Strip tease is also a great option for you since you have fewer inhibitions. Even if your partner is not as open as you are, they might enjoy the show. For some open couples, inviting a third into the mix can also be an appealing, can be an, an appealing idea. 
Sexually open, agreeable people are most compatible because both types are able to give the kind of sex that they need for satisfaction. If you are sexually conscientious, deal with romance with a bubble bath after a stressful day, followed by an erotic massage or mutual masturbation to promote sexual health and well-being. Add erotic talk for orgasmic intensity. As a sexually conscientious person, you might enjoy taking sexy selfies and sending them to your lover in a for-your-eyes-only message that gives them a thrill and makes you feel valued and loved. A conscientious lover with another conscientious or an agreeable lover offers the most compatibility because they are both more likely to express their feelings. If you're sexually extroverted, you find it easy to talk about your sex fantasy, especially to another extrovert or an open person for your best sex matches. Since you are more likely to make the first move initiating sex, be sure to find out your lover's boundaries on any unexplored erotic desires you want to explore. You're more likely to enjoy a game of strip poker or be on board to discover their P-spot or their G-spot during sex. Role-playing games may also excite you. For example, pretending to be strangers at a bar or going home together as if you've never met. If you're sexually agreeable, as the most flexible lover of all the personalities, work on getting your sexual needs met by stating your desire through dirty talk. As you're likely turned on by erotic visuals, ask your lover to do a strip tease and masturbate for your voyeuristic pleasure before having sex. As an agreeable, you can create a sex mat set, you can create a sex match with anyone. Even an erotic lover can fall in love or lust with you, or in a, or both. Try giving or receiving erotic massage with a happy ending. If you're sexually neurotic, for great sexual experiences, focus your attention on pleasing your lover before yourself. And before sex, have a date that involves laughter, such as watching a funny movie or going to a comedy club, as this will access parts of your brain that will help you to relax before sex. Masturbation is a surefire winner for your personality type, and you can work on letting that extend into your sexual relationship as mutual masturbation. Sexually neurotic people are most compatible with agreeable personalities. No matter which sexual personality type of combination of types described in your partner, have fun exploring your compatibilities together. And remember, every couple can learn from each other whether the compatibility test is a good match or not. And if you have chemistry, you can train each other to express love in the way that you both want and need for a fulfilling relationship. Just taking a test and reading the ebook will make you feel more empowered with the knowledge that communication is something you can improve. Okay, you're probably wondering, Antonio, how important is that your partners, whatever term they are, are good band on sexual settings? Well, I break the scales and they break the scales. Enough said. Two, do you like to plan your sexual activity? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're spontaneous, other times we schedule each other in. It depends on our life scenarios at any given moment. Three, how do you express love and lust? We have intellectual intimacy. We have emotional intimacy. We have interpersonal intimacy. We have social intimacy. We have psychological intimacy. And we have Obviously, we have physical sexual intimacies, but we also have crisis intimacy, conflict intimacy, and professional intimacy, 
creative intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, um, internal intimacy as well. So we that's how we express our compassionate love and healthy lust for each other because it's a, it's you know for all of us are casual together, myself and them. For how much do you enjoy the following acts? Erotic embrace while dressed. The number 10 is not enough, it's higher than that. Deep kissing, the number 10 is not higher enough, deeper than, you know, more than that. Uh, so yes, uh, the number 10 is not good enough when it comes to erotic embrace while dressed and deep kissing, it's higher than 10. Stroking a sexual partner's genitals, higher than 10. Giving and receiving erotic, giving and receiving oral sex, higher than 10. Favorite intercourse positions, uh, higher than 10. Anal sex, higher than 10. Penetrative sex, vaginal sex, all higher than 10. I enjoy all of them. They all break the scales for me. I do all these things to them, and they do all these things to me. We do all these things to each other together. Here we go. Um, so I have an open personality because I am creative and outgoing sexually. I feel comfortable giving the kind of compassionate love and healthy lust I would like to receive. And I do love to have adventurous fantasies that I live out in my real life, such as threesomes, domination, domination and exhibitionism. Um, I am conscientious. As, a consci as the conscientious love that I am, I am, I, am my, I am the most mindful and I do pay attention with all of my five senses, including the sixth sense instincts, intuition. I think that because I'm sexually conscientious, I do believe that relationships can be quote-unquote worked on to achieve compatibility and chemistry. I do require a higher level of trust before becoming intimate with anyone. But at the same time, I'm turned on by the idea of other people finding my partner sexy. Hey, I find them sexy, but hypocritical that other people can't find them sexy either. Um, I am sexually extroverted. That means I'm energetic and ex I, sex with me as an extroverted person is energetic and exciting as I enjoy risky sex locales as well as erotic communication. I enjoy erotic communication and risky sex locales. Because I'm an introvert, because I'm an extrovert sexually, I am the one who initiates sex, and I do enjoy sex acts that others may consider taboo. Yes, I enjoy group sex and BDSM. I am sexually agreeable. Agreeable personalities like me in bed and all the other sexual settings are passionate and lovable with lots of are passionate and lovable with lots of enthusiasm to please their love. So yes, I am I am an agreeable personality when it comes to sex. I am passionate and I am lovable. I do have lots of enthusiasm when it comes to pleasing my lovers. I 
am turned on by taking romantic baths, dancing, sharing meals, and expressing my compassionate love through compliments. That would be me. I am, am, I am an erotic lover because I am the wildest sexually. At the same time, I am highly emotional and sensitive. But at the same time, I am significantly more willing to talk about my desires and I do not have any difficulty expressing my lo compassionate love and healthy lust. And I do express my healthy lust through foreplay. And then I work my way up. I don't mind saying I love you. I don't mind saying I lust for you. I'm, I'm okay with those things. I am sexually open, so I feed my sexual appetites and I increase intimacy with new sexual activities that I haven't tried. Um, I do have tantric sex. I do sensual BDSM power play. Strip tease is also some, uh, something that I do because I am sexually uninhibited. Um, Inviting a third into the mix is also appeal is also an appealing idea for me. We enjoy the shows. My partners, we're very open. And um, I am sexually conscientious, so I do build romance with a double bath after stressful day. I follow up with erotic massages and mutual masturbation to promote our sexual health and well-being. We add erotic talk for orgasmic intensity. Because again, I am a sexual conscious person, I do enjoy taking sexy selfies and sending them to my lovers in a for your eyes only message that gives them thrills and makes them feel valued, loved, and all around attractive. Um, I am sexually extroverted. I find it easy to talk about my sex fantasies, especially to another extrovert um, and to open people. Um, more than likely, I do tend to make the first move initiating sex. I know what my lover's boundaries on any unexplored erotic, I, I know what my lover's boundaries on any unexplored erotic desires that we want to explore. We do enjoy games of strip poker. We're on board to discover each other's P spots and D spots during sex. Role-playing games also excite me, for example. We love pretending to be strangers at bars and going home together as if we've never met. I am sexually agreeable. I am the most flexible lover of the personalities. That means that I do work on getting my sexual needs met by stating my desires through dirty talk. And I am turned on by erotic visuals. I do ask my lovers to do strip teases and masturbate for our voyeuristic pleasure for having sex. We actually do that too. Um, we are giving and receiving erotic massages with our happy endings. And I am sexually neurotic. 
for great sexual experiences, I defocus my attention on pleasing my lovers before myself. And for sex, we do have casual dates that involves laughter, such as watching funny movies, going to comedy clubs, because it does access parts of my brain that helps me to relax and then relax before our sex. Masturbation is a surefire winner for myself and my lovers, and we work on letting that extend into our sexual relationship as mutual masturbation. Um, so I am a well-balanced, well-rounded, well-adjusted, well-unified sexually open personality, sexually conscientious personality, sexually extroverted personality, sexually agreeable personality, sexually neurotic personality, sexually open personality, sexually conscientious personality, sexually extroverted personality, sexually agreeable personality, and sexually neurotic personality. I love repeating myself. So I am a holistic sexual personality. Not too much, not too little, all just right. Okay. So, of course I do need to say more. Um, What do I want to say more? I'm just going through a list of articles that I want to say. Uh, I think I'm going to do one more article because I am getting exhausted. Um, here we go. I am, I am living like a healthy hedonist because I am one. This is LaMasonWellness.com. Sounds great, right? But what does it mean? How do you do it? A healthy hedonist is someone who is seeking pleasure and happiness in a more mindful way. A person will celebrate life, but to also live consciously. It means enjoying the beautiful pleasures life has to offer while being aware of the impact of our decisions on our body and our mind. Most of us live a fast-paced life. We define ourselves as busy and feel like we're running after time. Desperately, we try to juggle everything, family, work, maintaining a social life, finding love, not to mention trying to squeeze in some me time and self-love. It's exhilarating, fun, meaningful, but I think we can all agree exhausting at times. It can make us feel like we're lacking in space, space around us, space in our head, space between the thoughts and space for ourselves. Between the constant emulation from email, social media, text, phone calls, scrolling down, swiping left, right, we're missing the time for quiet and the space for connection with ourselves. What if you allowed yourself to find your space to find a moment to breathe, to connect, to recharge, to recenter? Welcome to life as a healthy hedonist. It's about living mindfully, being aware of what you need to support yourself in the best way while appreciating each and every moment of life. It means living in the moment, allowing the time and the space to do so, intentionally saving the simple pleasures of life, a nice walk through the park, sun kissing your skin, a crisp morning walk, taking the time to pause and breathe, eating something wholesome and delicious, or sharing a cocktail moment with friends. 
Living mindful doesn't mean cutting things out of your life. It means growing the good things in your life. A healthy hedonist is someone who celebrates life, who, who creates their own balance, and makes the most out of it in a mindful way, in a way that makes them feel good. Our tips for living life more mindful for embracing life as a healthy hedonist. Be more in the present. Take time to appreciate what you have and the importance of what you're doing. Listen to yourself. Awareness is key in living life that serves you, serves you the best. Offer kindness and compassion towards yourself and others. Make time to find your space. Come back to your breath. Being a healthy hedonist is about being present, mindful, celebrating life in a way that makes you feel good. We love to hear experiences of living life like a healthy hedonist and the things that help you anchor to the present. Remember the lifestyle of a healthy hedonist isn't prescribed. It's about finding your own balance. My name is Antonio Myers, and I'm a healthy hedonist because I am living like a healthy hedonist. Therefore, I am living like myself. Bye.